Freedom's a great word, and I know we celebrate it as a nation this weekend. How many of you love fireworks? How many of you appreciate sleep? For how many of you does that conflict arise in your neighborhood? And you know when July 4th is on a Monday, you're at least going to get two or three nights of fireworks. We do love the freedom that we have in this nation. We celebrate that. That's what we get to enjoy being here this morning. But I love that that song reminds us of the freedom that we have in Christ. We don't often meditate on how free we are in Jesus Christ. I say that as I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 20 and preach on the Ten Commandments, all the Old Testament rules that are in the Bible. This is practical and this is relevant. We've been studying through the Ten Commandments and I remind you of this. The New Testament tells us that the law is a school teacher revealing to us our sinful condition. It is a mirror and when we look in the mirror of the law, we see how spotted and stained and blemished we are by sin. So it does us good to visit God's highest and holiest expectations. We arrive at a verse this morning that I assure you, you are going to think as soon as I read it, enough said, let's close in prayer and go home, but there is more to be said. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15, God is communicating the law directly to Moses, and this is what God says is one of the big rules in life. Verse 15, thou shalt not steal. It's hard to complicate that. It's hard to simplify that. Thou shalt not steal. Now, one thing you're going to notice is that that verse does not say what you won't steal. There is nothing in that verse that says when you won't steal. There's nothing in that verse that says from whom you won't steal. It doesn't say why. It just says thou shalt not steal. It's a generic command. You won't steal anything from anyone at any time for any reason. Thou shalt not steal. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, simplified that verse by adding more words to it. He said, this forbids pilfering. This forbids cheating and every kind of wrong. How many of you have ever cheated on family game night? Yep. It'd probably be easier to ask how many of you have not cheated on family game night? It's forbidden. I did a little study and I think I can quote unquote simplify that verse by adding another set of words. Synonyms, in fact. Here they are. Thou shalt not divert, swipe, embezzle, plagiarize, appropriate, swindle, blackmail, defraud, take, plunder, ransack, pinch, pirate, or pillage. Don't do any of that. Thou shalt not steal. Some of these commandments are very basic in their communication. Thou shalt not kill. We get it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We understand. Thou shalt not steal. Yet I can say to you universally, and unfortunately, even in a room like this, we are a bunch of thieves. We know what it says. We just don't live it out as we should. I did a little study and I thought, where do people steal the most? And I came across this. People most often steal from hotels. They're thieves. 
They're there for the night and they help themselves. Here are some of the most stolen items from hotels. Hangers, cutlery, pens. I always assumed the pens were there in the room for you to take, but I have now been enlightened. If you have a pen that says Graceway Baptist Church on it, give it back. (laughs) Thieves. People get more creative than that. In, In fact, it takes real craftsmanship to steal bathroom fixtures, but, but it is evident that uh, the head of a rain shower stolen, a hydro massage shower stolen, this one blew my mind, a toilet seat. <laughs> what? Any toilet seat that anyone has ever sat on at any other time, why steal that? A drain pipe? An entire sink From one hotel in Europe, a grand piano, the manager said this, once I walked through the lobby, I noticed something was missing. Soon after, I learned that three unknown men in overalls had taken away the grand piano and it never reappeared. That's pretty gutsy. Other items listed, room numbers, benches from inside the sauna, flowers, pillows, batteries, TVs, remote controls, light bulbs, mattresses, and I'm sure that on the onset of COVID, toilet paper. Stolen from every hotel everywhere because you couldn't get it. Now, I'm not certain of this, but it seems to stand to reason to me that one of the reasons that we have so many synonyms for stealing is because we take it so lightly, but God does not. In fact, God takes it so seriously that he has prohibited it in one of his big ten, the Ten Commandments. He has told us in his word that among the sins that keep someone from inheriting the kingdom of God, here is listed in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do not have the righteousness of Christ, they don't get the kingdom of God. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to go on and he's going to tell us, and here are some of the characteristics of unrighteous people, and he lists them. Be not deceived. Don't be fooled. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, revilers, extortioners, none of them shall inherit the kingdom of God. Right away, we realize this. To steal is indicative of the lost condition. To steal is something that those without Christ do. In Revelation, John is writing, and here at the very end of time, we read that the ungodly will not repent, and in Revelation 9.21, we read this, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. It just doesn't seem like it fits on a list like that in our minds, but throughout the Bible, it's there over and again. And we have to establish principles that help us grasp the severity of God on this mandate. When we read, thou shalt not kill, we understood God himself said it is because man is created in the image of God. When we read, thou shalt not commit adultery, we grasped it is because of the oneness in marriage before God. 
And now we're going to put the principle, the divine principle, behind this practical command by understanding this. Stealing implies ownership. Now, I don't want to treat you like a bunch of children. I know that you grasp this, but the command, thou shalt not steal, assumes that there is something to steal. And it assumes that that which we are stealing belongs to someone else. In the Old Testament, I should not steal your ox. I should not steal your donkey. Now I might say I should not steal your car. I should not steal your wallet. I should not steal your cell phone. Ultimately, the divine principle behind this is because stealing implies ownership. And here is an overriding scriptural tenet. God owns everything. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness, that is everything in it, the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. God owns everything. Moses is going to expand on the law. In Deuteronomy 10, 14, he says this, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also, and all that therein is. God owns everything. Everything. Stealing implies ownership. This clearly indicates that because the believer trusts in the providence of God and trusts in God's kindness and God's good provision for us, then we will refuse to take that which is not ours because stealing is a sin against the providence, the sovereignty, the ownership of God. It is a sign that I do not trust that God will provide good things for me, but in effect, very really, I must take it into my own hands. God is speaking through Isaiah the prophet to the nation of Israel. Here's what he says in Isaiah 61.8, For I, the Lord, love judgment, but I hate robbery for burnt offering. What God is, in effect, saying there is, I hate stealing. I hate robbery. I hate everything that is gotten by injustice, even though it is for sacrifice. One old preacher said this, It is not God's will for us to have anything that we cannot obtain by honorable means. If I don't have it and cannot attain it by honorable means, it is not God's will that I have it. In other words, stealing from someone is stealing from God because he owns everything and distributes it according to his perfect sovereign will. That's the divine principle behind the commandment. Stealing implies ownership. But I'll go a step further. Stealing destroys stewardship and we build on this principle if anyone legitimately has any good thing as their own it's because God himself ultimately gave it to them anything that you have even opportunities gained or missed are gifted from God every talent every skill every material possession God has given to you James said it this way, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is the creator. 
He is the rightful owner of all things, and he gives whatever he wishes to give according to his plan to whomever he chooses to give them. John the Baptist said this, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Don't be deceived. You have not attained anything that God has not gifted to you. Realize that stealing implies ownership. God owns everything, and what we have is gifted to us from God. Paul asked the Corinthian believers this rhetorical question. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? What do you have in your possession that was not ultimately given to you by God? So when we legitimately possess the good things of this life, When we legitimately possess these good things, it's because God has given them to us. All that we have ultimately has been gifted from God. So we can understand this principle. Whatever I have legitimately been given, I am now a steward of because it has been given to me on loan from God. Now Paul is going to teach Timothy, very practically speaking, in his first letter to him. Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus. It's a challenging church to pastor. It's an affluent group of people. And Paul is trying to communicate this reality to him. Whatever you have that is a good thing, it is because God has gifted it to you. And attached to that is an expectation. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We know that verse. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You say, so it's bad to be rich. It is not bad to be rich. It is not bad to have material possessions legitimately gained. God, in his goodness and according to his sovereign plan, distributes his goods on loan to people. But here is the principle wherein we fail. He writes to Timothy and says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. God has given us richly everything that we have for the purpose of enjoyment. But do not trust in those material possessions. Realize they have been gifted to you on loan. And when we become miserly with our material possessions, which have been given to us by God on loan, we in effect are robbing God. Once I realize that God commands others not to steal from me, It heightens my awareness of stewarding that which I own. It is my property on loan from God. It is my responsibility to honor God with it. But it's not just my financial things. The reality is that it is also my time, the talent that God has gifted to me, the opportunities and the energy that I have been given. Do you realize that when the Holy Spirit indwelt me at salvation, I am gifted this charis, a spiritual gift that I now must offer back to God in service? 
I mean, lack of stewardship on the material end is directly addressed when Malachi writes this as a speaker again to the nation of Israel on behalf of God. Will a man rob God? How dumb is that? I think sometimes I adhere to the Ten Commandments just because I'm a chicken. Does that make sense to you? Thou shalt not steal. No worries. I'm afraid of getting caught. I don't imagine that I would do well in jail. I don't imagine you would either. Thou shalt not kill. No worries. I don't really like gore and violence anyways. Thou shalt not steal. How dumb would it be for me to go and steal from a financial institution? Dumb. How much dumber would it be for me to steal from God who knows everything and gifted everything? And yet Malachi says, will a man rob God? Well, he'd be dumb too. Yet you have robbed me, God says. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse. Now, I'm not preaching a message on stewardship here in the traditional sense, but I am preaching a message on thou shalt not steal, and you cannot get into this without growing aware of the fact that everything you have, God has gifted to you. And if others are mandated not to steal it from you, you then have the right to steward it in a God-honoring way. But it's not just materially. In Romans 12.1, we read, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Live your life For God, that is a reasonable act of service for you and I. Every waking moment, every ounce of energy, every material possession stewarded for his honor and glory. And if we were to do all of that, that is an honorable and merely reasonable act of worship. Stewardship is something that God has blessed us with. Stealing implies ownership and God owns everything. Stealing destroys stewardship because like a miser, I keep things to myself that God has given to me on loan. And stealing also denigrates new life in Christ. How does this work in the New Testament? That's what I always get asked when we study the Ten Commandments. How does this work in the New Testament? In the New Testament, failure to uphold the mandate, thou shalt not steal, is a contradiction of profession of faith in Christ because this sin is indicative of a heart problem. Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler. And in part of their conversation in Matthew 19, 17, Jesus asks the rich young ruler a question. He said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But, here it is, listen. If you will enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, you can't keep the commandments. But what Jesus is saying here is he's preaching the gospel to this rich young ruler. And he is revealing that if you are a believer, this is part of the characteristic of your existence. He said unto him, which, the rich young ruler said to Jesus, well, which commandment should I keep? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Now that's out of the mouth of Jesus. And in effect, what Jesus is saying is, this is what you will be doing 
if you have eternal life, and if you have eternal life, and if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a child of God, if you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you won't be stealing. In Romans chapter 13, we're told in this passage, he who loves his neighbor will be hallmarked by this behavior. For this thou shalt not. If you love your neighbor, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you love your neighbor, thou shalt not kill. If you love your neighbor, thou shalt not steal. Again, what is being taught to us is this principle. A follower of Christ, though once they may have been a thief before Christ, now that they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they will not steal. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 14, John the Baptist is answering the publicans and he says this, Then came also the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do that we might be baptized? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. Stop stealing from people, tax collectors. Now, we could probably get a lot of amens on that part, right? Stop embezzling. You're charging more than the government demands and you're pocketing the excess. If you are a follower of Christ and desire to be aligned in baptism with him, I say to you, stop stealing. It's a practical outgrowth of following Christ. Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, which Timothy pastored, and he said this, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Paul often used the analogy of clothing, taking off the old, putting on the new. Don't look like somebody who's not a follower of Christ. Take that off and intentionally, willfully put on other deeds that make you look like a follower of Christ. Well, what can I do, Paul? He says this in verse 28, let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. A Christian looks like somebody who doesn't steal. I think it's really deep when you get into Paul's letter to Titus, and you have to understand in the context of the day. He writes this to Titus about Christian slaves, slaves who have become followers in Christ. And here's what he says. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. And here's, here's the context of it. That he that is of the contrary, somebody who is lost, does not look at somebody who is saved. Somebody who is not a follower of Christ does not look at somebody who is a follower of Christ and have something evil to say about them. So here's what you should do as a slave who is a Christian in verse 10, 9. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Purloining is a big word. Purloining simply means this. Don't embezzle another's property by keeping back part of the price of the commodity. Now stop, because that is radical transformation in Christ. You who are living in injustice as a servant, when you go to do business on behalf of your master, now that you are a follower of Christ, don't sell the commodity and write it in the book as though it cost one thing. Pocket the excess and think to yourself, I am do that for the injustice that I have dwelt and, and lived in. He says to him, if you want to dress up the doctrine of Jesus Christ and you want to amplify 
exemplify the message of the gospel. Live your life in all good fidelity and let your yea be yea and your nay, nay. No stealing. In 1 Corinthians 6, as I referenced earlier, he was preaching relatively hard. When he says, it doesn't belong that a Christian would be a thief. You are not lost anymore. You have been changed. You once stole. Steal no longer. So what we realize quite simply is this. If we were to look at the New Testament, we would realize that a follower of Jesus Christ no longer steals. And you say, my goodness, you have taken a lot of time to tell me that stealing implies ownership and it destroys stewardship and it denigrates new life in Christ. Are we done yet? No, because I have not yet told you how you are a thief. And I cannot have you go home happy and smugly pleased with yourself. We would not be Baptists if that happened. So you must leave feeling rotten. That's why we have the invitation where you confess and square things up. You say, Pastor, I don't steal. Stealing. Thou shalt not steal. I know we look at that and we think, well, that's to take something for myself that rightly belongs to someone else. Sure. But have you ever considered that knowledge of theft without intervention makes you also guilty of thievery. You're a part of it when you know something as theft and do nothing about it. That can even get into the realm of the business and the boardroom and wherever else this happens. Proverbs 29, 24. Whoso is partner with a thief hateth his own soul. He heareth cursing and berayeth it not. He knows this to be a scheme. And yet he does not do anything about it. He's partner with the thief. Therefore, he hates his own soul because he keeps his mouth closed. Do you realize that if you're dishonest in your business dealings, if you deceive people to spend more of their money than is fair and just, it is thievery. Now, this gets really complex, doesn't it? Because there are entire business models built on getting people to spend more money than they actually need to spend. But here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 20.10. Diverse weights and diverse measures, both of them alike, are an abomination to the Lord. Now you know you've gone to church when we say something is an abomination to God. You say, well, I get it, man. Murder, abomination to God. Adultery, abomination to God. You're going to tell me diverse weights and diverse measures are an abomination to God? Yes. Because God says thou shalt not steal. And when you cook or you game the system to take from someone more than they should necessarily give, God says, I hate that. Even if you are doing that for the express purpose of turning and offering it in sacrifice. How many of you know who Norman Rockwell is? Now, I asked that in the 945 service, and a lot of hands went up. That tends to be, well, the older people have their connection group at 9 o'clock, and they flow into that service. So your percentage of Norman Rockwell knowers is way high. There's a man who wrote a book on the Ten Commandments, and he talked about Norman Rockwell's well-known painting. It first appeared on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. Shows a woman buying a turkey for Thanksgiving dinner. You can see it here. The turkey's being weighed on the scale to determine the price. Behind the counter, you see the jolly butcher. That's what the man wrote. I don't know if I would 
say that's a jolly butcher, but that's a jolly butcher. You can see his apron is stretched tightly over him, his pencils tucked behind his ear. The butcher, just like the woman perhaps of 60, with quite a nose on her, look pleased. The two of them are exchanging knowing smiles, almost if they're sharing a joke, but the joke's really on them because the painting shows what they are secretly doing. The butcher, as you can see, is pressing down on the scale with this finger to raise the price, and at the same time, the woman is trying to get a better deal by pushing the scale up with her forefinger. The reason both of them look pleased is that neither is aware of what the other was doing. He went on to comment, both the butcher and the lovely lady would resent being called thieves. The lovely lady would never rob a bank or steal a car. The butcher would be indignant if anyone accused him of stealing. And if a customer gave him a bad check, he'd call the police. But neither saw anything wrong with a little deception that would make a few cents for one or save a few cents for the other. In a word, I think they were stylishly stealing. And a lot of us are guilty of that. Just trying to shave off a little here or gain a little more there. That's just the way that business is done. The Bible tells us in a similar way, you can actually rob a seller of goods by belittling the goods that he has and really wants to sell and intends to sell. This is hard for me. In Proverbs 20 and verse 14, it is not... It is not. It's a piece of junk. It's good for nothing, saith the buyer. But when he has gone his way, then he boasteth. I got a good deal on that. Because I denigrated the goods the man was selling. Look at me. How many of you like to buy cars? Yeah. I'd like to have the money to buy cars. That's what I... I think it would be fun then. But have you ever argued at the car lot... And tried to get a better price by denigrating the product that you were buying. And the guy's probably thinking to himself, why are you then trying to buy it? I'm just trying to get another hundred bucks out of this. You say, Pastor, are you preaching against getting a good deal? I'm preaching against stealing. And here's the principle of scripture. If I scream, it's a piece of junk. If I scream knowing that it's not, that it is not. If I scream that aloud to get the price down. If I trick the man into thinking that and I take it and I go away boasting that I got a good deal. I'm stealing. Why? Because God is watching my heart, even in my business dealings, and he is never satisfied when the argument is, hey, that's just the way business is done. That's pretty straightforward. I'll go one more further. You talk about straightforward scripture. How about this? Don't kidnap. Okay, that's stealing. Say, well, I'm so glad you preached on this. Don't kidnap, especially with the intent to sell that individual into slavery. Now, that's got some historical ramifications. Here's what the Bible says. He that stealeth a man and selleth him, if he be, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. It denigrates God. Have you ever considered that malicious gossip or rumor is stealing? Well, now that can't possibly be because I love to talk about other people. I have learned the longer that I've been in the South, that's just the truth. I have a dear friend of mine who pastors in California, and he had a couple visit the church from the deep South, and he was expressing to me, boy, that's different. I was like, mmm, 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 I'll say nothing. 
The malicious gossip and slander. You say, where in the world do I see that as stealing? In Proverbs 22, 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. When you denigrate somebody by maliciously gossiping or slandering or evil speaking about them, you are robbing them of their good name. And get this, that does not enrich you, but it certainly does impoverish them. Stealing somebody's good name. I have learned in seminary that a message should have three points in a poem. So here's your poem. It doesn't rhyme, but it's a poem nonetheless. Good name in man or woman is the immediate jewel of their souls. Who steals my purse steals trash. But he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. Do you comprehend that when you gossip and slander, you are robbing someone of their good name? You say, well, I say bless their heart at the end of it. I promise that every time I say it, I ask the person I'm talking to, would you pray for them? Well, that's fine then. I hate being talked about. You say, well, why did you choose a public life? I did not choose. I was called. This is not a career choice nor a career path. If it is, do something else. There are easier ways to live life. We love to talk about others and deprive them of their good name, but hate to be talked about. Do you comprehend that God abhors thievery even in that regard? How about this? You can steal from your employer by not working as hard as you should and claiming that you are. You can shift things around on your tax return and steal. You say, now, pastor, that requires a message unto itself. Because I am certain there is excess in that regard. It is a matter of the heart. In Romans 13, 7, we read this. Render, therefore, to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. You comprehend that you can steal by withholding honest pay from someone for honest work. Trying to get chintzy or slight with somebody. Leviticus 19, 13, thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Do you think Christians are notoriously good or notoriously bad tippers? Yeah, maybe that's just really way too personal. And you go, don't preach on that. I'm I'm not trying to preach a message on tipping as something that is biblical. But what I am saying is here we have a principle that certainly extends into the practical areas of life. Don't withhold from somebody honest pay for honest work. As we've established earlier, we rob from God by not giving to him. Like misers, we keep to ourselves because we trust in our uncertain riches, like it is something that belongs to us. And when we do that, as poor stewards of what God has given to us, we rob him of that which is due to him. I know that when we read, thou shalt not steal, we cannot imagine that there's any message, any way a net could be cast wide enough to draw us in. But when we study it, we realize it starts in here. As I have studied this out, I've actually found that the Eighth Commandment is unique in that it encompasses other commandments. Murder, thou shalt not kill, that's the stealing of another person's life. 
Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the stealing of another person's spouse. Don't bear false witness. Giving false testimony is stealing justice from somebody. Coveting is the heart's desire to steal that which belongs to another person. It is a desire that rages within me to have something that belongs to someone else. And the overriding principle for Christians like us is stop it. You once were a child of darkness and you did these things freely because you were in bondage to your father, the devil, and to sin. You have been freed in Christ. Take those clothes off. Put on the new clothes of a righteous man. Walk like a child of the light. Stop stealing. Adorn the doctrine of God with all good fidelity. You want to enhance your testimony? I have said this often, and I believe it with all of my heart. If the world outside of the church sees the gospel message as impractical, it is not the fault of the gospel message. It is because we who claim to be followers of Christ do not show to the world that we are any different. The gospel is practical. The gospel is a change agent. The gospel demands radical transformation. And part of the radical transformation is simply this. Stop stealing. Stop stealing. You say, well, if I stop this and I become that one guy at work who really gives it his all all the time, they're going to think I'm just a goody two-shoes. You know, that is the bane of the Christian existence. That That is the bane of the Christian existence. But enhance the doctrine of God, the gospel message of Jesus Christ with your fidelity. Every time I get into these commandments, I am amazed at how rotten and dirty and guilty I am. I'm not saying don't steal and you can get to heaven. What I am saying is the law says you know you're a thief. And if you only in one moment on one occasion, and I don't mean took a pack of gum from the 7-Eleven. You can tell I grew up in the D.C. area, 7-Eleven. Sorry. If you took a pack of gum from the convenience store one time, though that would count, he's saying if even in your heart you withheld honest wage from somebody who did honest work, if even in your heart in the business dealings you know you twisted it or you put a little pressure on, if in any way one time you committed that sin, you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the reality is we were born under the penalty of sin. Jesus never knew sin and never committed sin, even though he was tempted like us in every single way. And so when he willingly laid down his life on the cross and shed his blood, he is the only way for us to be mediated with righteous and holy God in heaven. And my sins can be forgiven as many as they may be piled high because of the blood of Christ. And if I'm a believer who have fallen flat on my face and failed in this regard, confession and forgiveness is only a moment away. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.